Welcome back, everybody, this week on No Story Left Behind. Myself and Justin, we're still up in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. We had the opportunity to sit down with a World War II crew chief, Elmer Wishard. He's actually turning 100 years old this December. And you can actually check out his book called Clear the Prop, Memoirs of a World War II Troop Carrier Crew Chief and Lifelong Pilot. Awesome read. I haven't quite finished it yet by the time that we got down to sit down with Elmer and do the recording. I'm working through it right now. I highly recommend go over to Amazon and check it out. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, back to a new episode of No Story Left Behind. We are coming back to you from northern Wisconsin once again. Justin is with me this week, sitting in for Steve, and we are joined by Elmer Wishard, retired World War II crew chief and lifelong pilot. Thank you, Elmer, for opening up your house for us to come in and interrupt your morning. Glad to have you. <laughs> so, this curious, where'd you, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I, I was born in North Dakota, and it... Uh, I only lived there about four months. Then we moved into, moved from Bar to go to my, my, my folks rode down with the cattle in the in the cattle car. My my mother rode down and and at me and, and but we landed we landed just just north of Ladysmith at at the Lineback Ranch. Mm -hmm. There's a little place there. The house wasn't much bigger than what we had in North Dakota. It was something else, and we lived there until I was about five years old. And then we moved to Bruce, the the BB farm. Mm -hmm. all, all that land around the BB farm was ours there, and that was where that's where I was raised. And I remember I was I've started reading your book. I haven't finished it yet, but you were it was a tar paper. Is that correct? Oh yeah. And I imagine trying to keep that insulated in the delightful there Wisconsin no, winters. No insulation. <laughs> in, insulation was, I imagine papers. Mm -hmm. the, the toilet paper was was, was catalogs. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> but what was it like for you growing up on a farm, in northern Wisconsin? You know, that was depression days, and we had a farm. We had hogs, we had turkey, we had over or over fifty chickens. We had we had cattle. Depression didn't bother us at all. Uh, we um, we had all we wanted to eat. Uh, the, we had no electricity, of course, and uh, our our well was down at the at the barn, and and I would. You see, the house, the house that we lived in, used to be a um, um, a hotel for for loggers coming down from Superior with their, with their logging stuff. Then they'd stop at our at our place, the baby farm, and they they put their horses in the big barn. We had read it upstairs in the store down. So I mean, we we had we had pretty good pretty good going there, really. I got a good kick in. The stories you had about growing up and your siblings in wintertime, you'd still have to do get the chores done, take care of the animals. You had a rope that you had to tie off from the house to the barn so you could. Yep, that, was up, that was up in the Dakotas. That was Dakota. That was in the Dakotas, <laughs> North Dakota. That you used to get some big storms up there and it, you couldn't even see where they were going at all. <laughs> and your dad seemed like he was a hard worker, I mean, successful farmer. He, he was a very hard worker and he wanted to 
get bigger all the time. Mm-hmm. He, he, his <laughs> actually his his thought was he wanted to be a, some some on, on a board someplace. He wanted to be a board member. We got <laughs> to be on the school board, but that's sure. as far as he ever got to be. <laughs> but, but he was a, a a good hunter and a hard worker and never never complained. It was really something. If you wouldn't mind the story about when you're trying to catch a muskie off the bridge <laughs> in Bruce, if you can tell that story, that was hilarious. I was rolling. Yeah, yeah we had a uh, the. the um, the bridge just this side of Bruce, north of or east of Bruce. Hmm. I used to fish that all the time, and I went down there fishing one time, and there was a nice muskie right underneath the bridge, and I had a snag hook, and so I was trying to snag the bugger. First of all, I put a frog on. I put the frog right in front of his nose, and he just moved over, and finally I. Give up and I went home and told Dad. I said, "There's a muskie underneath the bridge down there, and he won't bite." He said, "We'll find out about that." <laughs> Took a shotgun with buckshot and <laughs> shot right straight down. We only had about three feet of water there, and then, of course, the buckshot. And he made one turn, and his head went down. His tail came up, and so I ran out in the river and grabbed him. Just lucky that I didn't keep my fingers in his mouth because all he he was just knocked out. He wasn't dead. Oh, God. <laughs> we had we had musky for supper anyway. <laughs> and, Shotgun club. That's a new new technique right? I wasn't aware of. <laughs> and what your what your mom do? Did she have her own job or did she just kind of help out with you on the farm? She was she was just out on on the farm. She um, she 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 loved to be outside. She was heavy set. But she loved to be outside, and uh, she loved to play ball with us kids and garden. Oh my God, the size of the garden she had, <laughs> and uh, all. I don't know how she learned to do all of her stuff from the garden and so forth. And she had so much stuff in the in the well, that that house we had. It was so doggone big. We had a full basement, and I mean to tell you, she she kept. She kept, didn't give a full apart, but we had plenty to eat down there. And you grew up here in Bruce Ladysmith area, uh, went to school here. Did you play any, did you have time for any sports or was it just, what? No. did you have time to play in any sports at school or was uh, I, it just go uh, home and work the farm? I, I boxed and I, I played basketball and baseball. Like I say, we've we got the football uniforms the year that I graduated from high school in 1938. We got football uniforms. <laughs> and when did you, so I know you, you moved down to Milwaukee for a little while. Yeah. After we graduated, the bunch of us, we had uh, four boys and three girls uh, moved down to Milwaukee. And uh, the girls lived upstairs and we lived downstairs and we found out later that the girls came down downstairs when we were working during the day. They came down and used our beds because our beds was better than theirs upstairs. <laughs> so we had, uh, I worked for the brewing, cup, brewing company down there for a while, Miller Brewery, and, and uh, I, I was working in engineering for a while. So I, I spent a, pretty soon my, my dad wanted me to come home and I had I had just bought a 1937 Plymouth Coupe for 250 bucks, <laughs> and uh, 
I had, but I hadn't had it paid for. My, my dad wanted me to come home, so he sent me the rest of the money. And said, That's as long <laughs> as I stayed down there. And were you were you back home then when you got the news about Pearl Harbor? Yep. Yep. And I wanted uh, I wanted to go to in, in service right there. Mm-hmm. And mom says, no, please don't go. Said, we got we got a, a boy in service now. He was up in Greenland. And I said, Mom, I'm going to have to, I'm going to get drafted anyway. Well, she said, will you wait till you get drafted? And I said, I'll wait till my draft notice comes. <laughs> so I think it probably came on September 9th, and I enlisted on September 12th. And you went into the Army, correct? Well, I went, I went to Fort Sally, Minnesota, and I, I enlisted. Actually, in, I, I wanted to enlist in the Air Force, and I told them that. Well, then, after I had sworn in, they said, well, we can't say you're in the Air Force because <laughs> we don't know where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. They said, we'll recommend that that's what you do. <laughs> that's how it turned out. So after they, where did they send you for boot camp, or did you do that at Fort Snelling? I went from boot from there went down to Louisville, Kentucky, Bowman, Bowman Field, Louisville, Kentucky. Where it was it wasn't even cold up here, but it was really <laughs> hot down there compared to what I was used to. What was a what was those first few weeks like for you leaving of course you've left the area before and you've moved around, but yeah. I imagine it was a bit of change of pace. It was from... a big change of pace. You <laughs> bet. You betcha, yeah. We uh there's, you know, I guess we more, more or less goofed around before, but there you didn't goof around. <laughs> I go, I keep, well, I, I, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but I, I was just talking to a bunch of boys, that two of them, one is going in through uh, Dakota's now going through college mm-hmm. with with the Air Force. He's he's in the Air Force, but he's getting he'd be getting through college. To, but anyway, I, I told him, I said, when you get out and get going, whatever you do, don't goof off. I said, the Air Force don't give a damn if you, if you want to advance or you want to stay, if you want to goof off. I said, they don't give a damn. It's up to you. I said, if, if, when, I, when I went to grade school, I was real good at recess. <laughs> in high school, I was ever. I never skipped school, but I never, I never took home home. I don't think that I was over a C or C plus, uh, in, in either one of my school. I didn't give a damn till I got in the Air Force, and I, and I found out that there was that I could advance and do what I wanted. I, I'd been raised on a farm. I knew how to work on on machinery and mm-hmm. keep machinery going and, and of course and I'd been a milk truck driver picked up milk with, from the farmers so I, every, everything like that helped and for boot camp I mean I had talked to other veterans of both the Gulf War and now post 9-11 and there's always always seems like the the drill instructor's job was to put the fear of God in you and it, was it like that for you going in started well, were they kind of strict right out the gate and just kind of intentionally kind of trying to scare the scare or, uh, the fear of God into you, if you will? I don't think so, no. No, no, no nobody ever, I, never give me a rough time. I never, <laughs> I, I guess, I guess, I, I guess, I think I, I, guess I was lucky. <laughs> 
But after boot camp, where did they did they ship you out anywhere? Or did they, you go to? I uh, went your to AIT? Uh, Fort. Uh, uh, oh, where in the heck was it? Indiana, anyway. And th- th- not too long up there, and and then they had they had just built a, an air force base at Alliance, Nebraska. And at the time, I was attached un- unassigned, and so they, I could get as high as PFC, and that's as far as they, that, that they could, because I was, wasn't assigned to any group whatsoever, so they couldn't advance me. So they, I, I shipped out to Alliance, Nebraska in, in, in the wintertime, and I mean, it was, it was cold <laughs> out there. And it, it was a brand new base. We were, we were the first people there. We had boxes we had to unload, and they had uh, doctors and dentists that were trying to work themselves up with the bunchers and working on our teeth, and <laughs> they weren't good at all. But, uh, we, we, I, I stayed there longer than I wanted to. I uh, here, here again. I, I've been a milk truck driver, and, and so they put me out at the motor pool. Uh, driving truck and working on trucks and so forth, and finally, the uh, my boss came out. And he said, Did "Any of you guys go to high school?" Well, there were three of us that raised our hands that had gone to high school. Anybody take typing? Well, I was the only one. I got I had two years of typing and I had um, two years of short that shorthand. He said, "Come out, come down to your ODs." He said, "You're in charge." <laughs> So next day I came down with my tie on and the whole works and I started dispatching trucks and jeeps and so forth. I keep track and I, I kept track of, of, of the oil changes, whatever worked on them and so forth. So finally he came down one day and he said, uh, First of all, I told him. I told him. I said, "I'm, I'm going on KP tomorrow." He picked up the phone right away, and he says, "Take Elmer off for KP." <laughs> <laughs> I never had to go on KP again. I was steady there. But anyway, he came down. and He said, "We're we're moving moving up in, up where we give out clothing." So okay. So we moved up there and. Uh, Finally, one day uh, he came out and he said, "Are you still trying to apply for aircraft mechanic work?" Because I had I had tried to be a pilot when I first got into I, I signed up for a pilot. Well, we we celebrated too much the night before, <laughs> and I I didn't fail I, I did fail my my exam. So that was that back in Minnesota. But anyway, he said, you, you still trying to get in? And I, he, I said, yeah, damn it. He, he said, on it. He said, I'll keep you right here. And uh, he said, I'll make a master sergeant of it. You won't have to go overseas. You won't have to do it. You stay right here in, in Nebraska. And I said, that ain't what I want. I didn't want. That wasn't what I came in here for. I was on the shipping order next next day. <laughs> he was a good guy. He shipped me, shipped me down to Gulfport, Mississippi, where mm-hmm. I went to school then. And that's that's where you got your 
pilot's training from there? That, that's, where I, that's where I got my aircraft and engine training. Every place around there was signs up on the... You too can be a crew chief, and we can be yeah, sure. You can be a crew chief. All the people, Fort Benning, Georgia. That that's that's a hell of a big base. I mean to tell you, they at that time when the we I started working on these C forty sevens. They told me that when they sent send me out of of uh, uh, Gulfport, they sent me to Fort the Georgia. To work on C 47s, and I looked at them, what in the hell? <laughs> change it and change the gas flavor. <laughs> what in the hell is the gas flavor? What the heck? I had never never seen a radial engine. I had a 14 cylinder, two 14 cylinder engines that I started working on. And I didn't, I didn't work on them too long and they gave me an airplane this is your airplane you're you're the crew chief here well, geez i was only a corporal at that time <laughs> so i i, I got that to thinking then that was about the time that i got to thinking by god air force to let you go up as fast as you want to go as hard as you want to work you go right ahead and try it <laughs> that's, that's what i did was it is it like your typical nine to five job where you're at work for set hours and then you can go back to the barracks or go home and just kind of get as smart long as, as long as my I didn't uh, at at Fort Benning I didn't my plane wasn't mine all the time somebody else would fly it once in a while but I get uh, different pilots and <laughs> and some so they get different crew chiefs and so forth when I got overseas it was different. But in Fort, Fort Benning, if my plane wasn't there, then I could go to church, I could do out goof, I could go to town. I'd, we eat a lot of watermelon down there. <laughs> it's a good place to be. And did you have did you have time to keep in touch with friends or family back home? Or are you write, writing or sending letters? Write, writing back and forth most of the time. I had, uh, I had tonsil problems. And I missed a few of my furloughs back home because of, of tonsils and hospitals and so forth. As a matter of fact, by the time I, I, had, I had trained with, with the pilot, a, a whole crew, and we had trained with the plane I was going to use and the whole works, and, and I was supposed to go home on a furlough and I got goofed off because I had to go to the hospital and get my tonsils so I lost everything. I kind of kind of hurt. <laughs> it didn't take long, and I, I got replaced with a replacement crew. Well, how much longer, or how long were you down in Gulfport, Mississippi, then? I would say about three months. I think it was that. Uh, you see, the C-47s back at that time didn't have controllable pitch props on them. They had wooden props on them. And uh, they, so we did a lot of our flying trying to figure out what RPM and what manifold pressure. If you if you lost a an, an engine, that, that propeller would keep right on turning. The wind would keep it. And that, of course... Keeps the airplane from flying. Really, mm-hmm. it takes all all the power to <coughs> turn that, that that dead prop. So 
the, and, and at this time, they had staff sergeant pilots. They didn't have any any uh, uh, guys with with rank at all, except for they were staff sergeant. And they, but we get up there, and we we would try different RPMs, a different manifold pressure, and finally found out the manifold, the right RPM and the right manifold pressure to. To, to hold the airplane in the air at least until we got back to the to the base, we couldn't probably couldn't climb with it and stuff like that. But but we could hold it anyway. Home. It was it was kind of an interesting time while we were there. It was really it really was. <laughs> and I imagine that'd be a little nerve wracking intentionally trying to get an airplane well, to fail. Sometimes when <laughs> you know you had you cutting the engine off and then you hope that damn engine was going to start again. <laughs> But the propeller kept on turning. Mm-hmm. So as long as the propeller kept on turning away, it, you figured you were going to get, get started again. <laughs> and when did they end up sending you overseas? Right. I was supposed to go home uh, just before Christmas. And uh, that's when I got followed up, and I think... What the heck was it? March? I think it was March that I got my whole crew together and chartered, chartered overseas. They, they gave me an airplane that had had the numbers. Well, there's, there's an airplane right behind you. Like, sure. That's a C-47 there. And it had a... The, the 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 small numbers on the on the back of the tail was a was a five oh five oh and I thought well I got a fifty fifty chance <laughs> I'm getting back again I had a had a, a pilot and co pilot both of them from Texas my radio operator was from from uh, Detroit and we had a, a navigator that that's all he did was navigate. He'd get us overseas and he'd come back and get another airplane and get it overseas and so forth. But it took us, I, th- I think it was 13 days we went, we, I, you know, back in grade school and used to talk about the, the, the Guianas. I used the British Guiana, the French Guiana and so forth. And my second night out, here I am in the Guianas. I thought, <laughs> what in the hell? What am I doing here? You know, but it was it was a thrill to think that I could do something like that. And and, um, and as you go along, you you did your 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 annual inspections, and you did your pre-flight. By the time the the pilot came out in the morning to, to fly the airplane. I had already went through the whole airplane as much as I could. I started each engine up and checked each engine out to see that the magnetos had enough oil and everything. So by the time the pilots got there, the airplane was ready to fly. And when we landed, then of course I'd have to go through the same thing. I'd mm-hmm. have to gas it up and check the oil and and a checklist that I went through that every time that we landed, it was the same thing and the next morning. So we went all the way from uh, up, up the west coast of South America, across the equator twice, 
And then on some of those flights, I think it was 11 hours. In, in fact, one flight was, was 11 hours. We went across the equator, went to find Ascension Island, which is uh, quite a way south of the equator, seven miles long and two, two miles wide, <laughs> made out of uh, uh, lava. And they they took as much lava off as they could, and you and it had quite a hump when when you land there. That, but when you couldn't even see the other end of the runway because they. <laughs> so after we got there, in fact, we took off at uh, what the heck was it? I think I, I think it was around uh, nine o'clock at night. And flew all the way to Ascension Island on on the, uh, the navigator shooting the stars. We had this astrodome in, on the top of the airplane, and he would shoot the stars, and that was that was how we got out there. <laughs> eleven eleven hours sitting there over over the ocean. There was there were ships beneath us, navigating ships, or where we could navigate on these ships if he, he did. And once in a while. The ships were far enough apart that, that we would lose contact and waited for the next one. So he he did a darn good job. <laughs> and then the then we stayed overnight at Ascension Island and then cut back across to Africa to Dakar, Africa. And this this you probably don't want to put down in your book. <laughs> <laughs> But they, they told us this, this place that we're going, whatever you do, we had, we had a bunch of guys that they, every place they went, they wanted to go in town with their women. And they told them, whatever you do, do not go into town or this town. Just about every woman in this town has got seven venereal diseases. And some of us got venereal diseases that we don't even know about yet. We had a couple of guys that jumped the fence and went. <laughs> hey, I don't. I don't know what they did in town. I had no idea. But I tell you, you you can't you can't believe. I I can't believe how advanced the United States was on our trip over. Like I say, we took us 13 days of of. With bad weather and a little bit of trouble, engine trouble and stuff like that, but it took 13 days, and 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 the the, the people that we saw, the type of the way they were living in comparison to the way that we were living, I just could not believe it that we were so far advanced of what what they were it was it was really uh, an experience i'll tell you yeah it's got to be a little bit of culture shock yeah going into that (laughs) you said when you're flying it took 13 days and and you had some engine trouble how did you then this have to land on a nearby island or land on a ship no no, we uh, we we kept going until we we got to the place where we were going Uh, i i knew it was coming I, I had to argue. I had to. That my pilot wasn't a good not was was not a good pilot, <laughs> and he was not a good person to. <sighs> he was he was a rich guy, 
And I think he got his pilot's license by being rich because he sure didn't get it by good flying, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, I had to argue with him quite a bit. I, I, would, I would tell him, I, if something, something's wrong with, with, with this per- particular propeller here, something. Yeah. They, they didn't synchronize. They were supposed to synchronize. You could spoke to synchronize a real, and it wouldn't. Well, he said they're close, and I, I don't, I don't like it. And so, we got. I forget. I think it was Marrakesh. I said, I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm pulling the, the propeller, and seeing what the problem is. Well, when, before we left the United States, from, from, uh, from Indiana to. Georgia, we had run into, the next morning when I was out starting the engines up, I could, one of the engines caught fire, and I, I knew there was something wrong. We were using too much gas in there. Well, what happened, the, the carburetor float was too high, and it was, it was, of course, it was burning as we were flying, but when I was pre-flying the thing, getting it ready the next morning, uh, the the gas had flown over into the cowling and backfired and caught fire. So they, but that was one of the reasons we sat there for so doggone long. The engine had to be changed. But anyway, I, I took the propeller off and the, the the governor for the propeller when they when they replaced it. They, they didn't take the, they, there's a shipping gasket to keep everything from moving, and then there's a, a gasket that be, between the, the, the propeller and the uh, case. And it, there was one hole that was missing on, on, the, on the shipping gasket, so I ordered, of course I had to order a new gasket, and what took a few days to get that was in Africa too. So I, I waited till the gasket came up. Then it, from then on, well, God, you could set the thing. <laughs> but these, uh, I didn't have too many arguments, but I, I did, and, and I, I couldn't truthfully say I, I won most of them. <laughs> in this, in the, the grand timeline of things, I've been a history nut my whole life, but was this pre or leading up to uh, Operation Torch, or were you there after? The United States had already started reclaiming back from Germany. Oh no, I, I got there long before that. Yeah, we uh, when we got there, they were they were wondering how come that that England wasn't sinking with all of the, the stuff that the United States they thought it was, it was enough over there they would sink the island. In fact, one of the great the great. The, Thoughts was why don't they cut those damn barge balloons? Because every place you looked, there was barge balloons. They, they figured those barge balloons was holding was holding England out of the out of the ocean because the United States had. I mean, we had equipment over there. Oh yeah, we had we had stuff that England had never seen before, and uh, so no, we got. I, I was put with one one squadron and. Only one day, and then they put me with the 91st Troop Carrier 439th, and and uh, we we started training right away, and uh, and we we trained for a, about a month before 
the invasion started out. Now, as crew chief, what were you training for? Was it just keeping that the plane up? Keep the airplane in the air. This is your airplane. Keep it in the air when you can, and you be with it. Whenever it goes in the air, you, you go with it. And uh, that was that was my job. And how old were you at this point? Uh, I was 21. Oh, got to be a little nerve-wracking. I, I got it. Oh, I... Now this is what it looked like in England when I when I first got to England, <laughs> and this is after I went through seven seven missions and got five air medals and went through the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the difference. Sure. This um, on page twenty five it shows more of it. Okay, what are you through? <laughs> You can, you can see the, the you can, you can see the, the difference in in the stuff that I have on my uniform here, mm-hmm. and the stuff that I have on my uniform sure. here. That. Uh, and from from England, you said you're training for a month, and do you remember getting orders that the invasion is going to start? We were we were put in the <laughs> we were put in the holding pin. This this reminded me after we got into holding pins ever ever time before a, an important mission, and re, it reminded me of of uh, driving down the road and and driving by holding pins in Texas where cattle were. <laughs> They were fattening up the cattle, <laughs> and that's what they were doing with us. We could have anything we wanted without. We could have smoke cigarettes. We could eat candy bars. We could do anything we wanted to do, but we were in a holding pen, and generally it was there uh, about two days. Once I think it was three days that we were there, but but two days and they would they would hold you there and. Uh, we didn't know what was happening. We knew something was happening. Uh, Eisenhower would come by and, and talk to us and give us the scoop and so forth. Did you ever have a chance to meet with him yourself? Pardon? Did you ever have a chance to meet with General Eisenhower? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I, uh, he, he, he was very, very, very friendly. He was a real friendly, of course. He was a pretty good guy, too. <laughs> I got, I got to shake hands with Joe, with Joe Lewis too. Okay. <laughs> so when what was when you did get the orders that you are that it's going? I mean, what's going through your head at that point? Were you nervous or was it just focus on the job and do what I need to do? That's right. Yeah, we uh, my my the the first the first trip I didn't get to, I didn't get to drop paratroopers. We took off it. Uh, at 11 o'clock at night, and uh, I, my my ship was used as a spare, and I and I was hurt, and then I got to, got to thinking afterwards. That meant that they thought that we were good enough, that 
we could take place of any airplane that didn't make it before. So I didn't feel that bad. Uh, the, 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 we took off on, on the 5th of June, they took off, they dropped the paratroopers, of course, about one o'clock in the morning on the, on the 6th of June, and then on the 7th, six o'clock in the morning, uh, we were hooked up to gliders going across the English Channel and dropped gliders over in France, came back and loaded up parabundles, resupplies, and, and took off across the channel again. Twice we took off. We, we made three trips on, uh, the, on the 7th, dropping uh, supplies up to, to the front lines and so forth. And this would be D-Day invasion, correct? That was after D-Day. After D-Day. Yep. Yeah, on the 3D was the 6th, and the, 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 after they, the, everybody settled down and everybody had to, of course, had to rest, we did, everybody was pretty well beat up on them. The guy that brought, that I came home with got hit in the foot on the, on the way back, and, and there was quite a few guys got shot down and so forth, but the, the big thing that we had, that I didn't know at the time, and, and uh, I, I didn't know this until afterwards, and I'm awful glad we didn't know it either, that the the, the big wheels above uh, had predicted that with the C-47 loaded the way they were, flying at 700 feet, that more than likely 85% of the C-47s and, and crews were going to be shot down because of how low we were and how slow and so forth. And I, I, I would say that we had 80, 85% came back. They, uh, they, came, they, they didn't realize that that C-47 could take holes that <laughs> other airplanes could not fly with. We, we come back with, with w wings where you could stick a man through three different holes in a wing, <laughs> and the airplane kept flying. That, that maybe the tail would be half shot off. It'd keep flying. <laughs> it make a difference. But the, it was a good plane. It was a good plane. Now, did you did your plane ever take any flack or I got under fire? <laughs> I got one bullet. I got one bullet, and when we were, I, I had a load of paratroopers. I, we were invading Holland, and we were going up the canals. We, in fact, we were about at 800 feet. And it, we were low enough that we could watch the Germans running in from gun to gun and loading them up and watching the shells come up at us, going up the up the canal, and all at once, this, I heard a, a rattle in the airplane. And I looked and here a paratrooper was sitting back there. I what? Had a 306 bullet in his hand. <laughs> Some guy on the ground had been shooting at my airplane and didn't lead it enough and got hit in the tail. 
and they came through a ricochet through the fuselage and he stopped on this paratrooper's leg and he picked it up. <laughs> I often wondered if that bullet got back to the United States or not. Because <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's really something. You sitting there, get that damn door off so we can get. I didn't have my, my, my jump door off at that time because it made too much noise and too mm-hmm. much wind and everything else. So I'd leave the jump door off until we got almost there and it'd get the yellow light. And then I'd turn my jump door off so that they could get out. But uh, get that damn jump door off here. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long did you continue to fly and or how many missions did you? end up flying in through the European theater? I, uh, I, I, got, I got seven battle stars. Um, seven battle stars. I only got uh, five air medals. So I keep telling people, I guess they didn't think I got scared enough. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> so we got five. Well, it, it was more missions than that, like, like Holland. The, you, you've heard the the, uh, the movie Bridge Too Far. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many paratroopers and gliders that we dropped at the bridge that was there, that was in this. As a matter of fact, I, I have read in books where uh, Germans have come in on, on on houses where. Flight crews had been shot down and it was holding him. And you want want some candy bars? No, you might as well have them. They were they were dropped. They were supposed to be dropped in your area, and, and we got into the area, so we got we got your supplies. But but in in Holland they were they were moving back and forth enough that. We didn't know for sure when when we took off, and and we flew. I I I swear, we flew whenever the weather would let us, and we flew when the what we shouldn't have been up up in there too. I tell you, but uh, I, I we we dropped a lot of we we dropped a lot of supplies over there, an awful lot, and and then then from Holland we went down to. Um, Went down to Italy where we pulled the Southern France invasion, and, and then back up again to. to, to and of course, there was Normandy, which mm-hmm. wasn't even or not Normandy, uh, Bastogne, that that wasn't even supposed to count, and it was the worst damn one that we had. I mean, it was it was a bastard. What happened at Bastogne? Oh. A 101st troop carrier or, or paratroop group got got caught in Bastogne. Got surrounded by the Germans and the Germans. Uh, you you probably haven't read in here where the, the Germans uh, sent a, a message. Uh, send a give up or we're going to blast you out of there. And the guy that was in charge of, of Bastogne wrote a note back, said nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, but that what we came in and to, to drop him, and they they had found out what altitude and and where we were going to drop, and they had moved in an artillery uh, two miles away. You know, that was 
normally your 20 millimeter was low stuff and it, it, it wasn't bothering us that much. Of course, the, the uh, up, up about uh, 10,000 feet or so, this high, high altitude stuff, uh, they were, we were too low because that was a, that was a time shell. Well, they figured out they finally figured out where we were coming in, and they got them on the railroad track. And instead of shooting up, they shot it at an angle, so that their their shells were exploding right where we were dropping our our, our gliders. And it was it was a bastard. Chase, <laughs> my you you I don't know whether you come for Joe Fry got shot down with. Whereas his airplane caught fire and, and the the glider, him, he, I, I don't know where you got there yet, but the, but the, this is how bad it was. I I stood there. We had we had dropped our our glider was going out when the rest of the more more of the airplanes. We saw two or three more airplanes get shot down. Well, I could watch the the crew members bailing out and. Uh, this Joe Fry, which was my co-pilot, and they took him as a first pilot for this one here, and his airplane had caught fire, and he kicked his crew out, and and finally told his co-pilot, he said, "I'm not leaving till you are." And he says, "You get out of here. This thing's on fire." So he came out through the cock or the cabin, and it was he got burned up pretty good. There was flames in there, and he run through them. So when Joe started to come up, out through the cabin, it was so full of flames he couldn't come out. And they had a a hatch above the pilot and co-pilot. It was about that big a square. And he had a, a chest parachute on. So he put the, his chest parachute on, threw this hatch off, and went up on top. Well, the airplane is... Uh, flying at about uh, about 90 miles an hour, so it's it's flying like this. So that when when he jumped out of this or when he came out of this hatch up here, there wasn't too much air up there because the air the airplane was going like this instead of like this. So he got he crawled his hatches up here and his astrodome was here. He said he remembered going past the astrodome. And he got blew off of the airplane there, and his he went his belly hit on the stabilizers in the back where the elevators are. He he hit with his belly. The airplane was 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 burning in the middle of it at that time, and and here he hit with his belly on on this thing. Well, the airplane at, at about that time blew up. And it blew him off of the stabilizer, and at the same time, it opened his parachute. And he landed, and he said he hardly even touched the ground. The paratroopers was right there catching him and got him, brought him back in. But sure. he's got, I think there's about three stories in here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm only in the first few chapters. Yeah. Like I said in my letter that I sent you, I'm probably the world's slowest reader there is. But I remember most of what I read after I can finally get to it. But but after after Holland and, and D-Day and Normandy, you kept flying uh, through the through oh, the end yeah. of the oh, European theater? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, we flew when you shouldn't have been flying. <laughs> we had... 
But one trip, we, I know damn well we couldn't get over 800 feet because the ceilings were so low and it was, it was rain. And we were, my airplane was, I mean, full of blankets. And the, the player, the 5050 was the one that I crewed overseas. He was a, he was the lead airplane because the the commander wanted my plane because it had a the GPS on it was was that big around. <laughs> it was the size of a washtub that was hooked on the bottom of the airplane. So when I of course when I got over, they took my plane my gave it to the to the big wheels and but anyway. He got shot down, and we we watched him until he found a, his his in, engine caught fire, and his his load shifted so he couldn't keep the airplane. So he did find a field to land in, Bellyland. Everybody got out. We we stayed we stayed with him until it, it came in. We weren't even supposed to. That was supposed to be a milk run. You're supposed to go up there and drop off our blankets and come home again. Well, this is this is what happened most of the time. You, you, you. We had another time that we were uh, supposed to have a day off. So my pilot and co-pilot were down at the bar having a big time. One o'clock in the morning, they came to the bar and said, "Hey." You guys got a got a, a a flight tomorrow. You got you got to deliver supplies X place and holy crap! Got out there the next morning and my co-pilot was so damn drunk he couldn't even find the door getting in. They had to lead him back and we had uh, stretchers that I kept in my plane all the time and took him back and put him in the in the, on a stretcher in the. I sat in, sat in the co-pilot seat, and we took off, going across the English Channel, flying formation, and all the rest of my pilot says, Elmer, have you ever flown formation? Well, I wasn't a pilot, but every time that I changed an, a different set of pilots that would come in, my pilot, my regular pilots was the same thing. As soon as Greg got up, when we first started flying together, they'd see, you you learn to fly this airplane in case you we get hurt. You can fly the, at least fly the airplane back. So this is, I did this. And going across the channel, he said, have you flown formation? I said, no, I, you never let me do that. He said, you got to, I can't stay awake. He said, just fly a little bit loose. Don't fly quite so close. <laughs> okay. So I said, I don't know how long, how long we flew. We got, we, we got over, over um, France or Germany. I, I imagine it could have been Germany. But anyway, we got started getting shot at down there. And so I woke up my pilot and I told him we're getting shot at. So he took over and we went up above the clouds and flew for get away so they couldn't see us. And uh, we got figured we was out of out of range of getting shot at, let back down through the clouds so we could see where we're at. 
about that time our our co-pilot was sobered up enough out of it. <laughs> came up and says, where are we? And the pilot gave him the map, and you find out. He says, I don't know. <laughs> well, he, he got the map and figured out where we were at. We ended up at, at uh, Brussels, Belgium. Uh, there were seven of us airplanes that took off that day with loads of supplies. And we got, but when we landed at, at Brussels and there was five airplanes landed, at, only two airplanes got back to England again. It wasn't a good, good sign. They didn't like that at all. And the best part of it was, I, I carried a lot of, of, of food. And I had a, a little gas stove. And like I say, we, 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 we worked as a family. Uh, on trips, I, I made coffee. I made I made our our hot food. I, I I did all the cooking as we was flying and the whole works. Well, anyway, we were sitting at Bel at Brussels, Belgium, and, and uh, he I, I was cooking our our supper, and the pilot says, "Elmer, look outside." Looked outside. <laughs> Here the rest of the crews all lined up with mess kits. <laughs> I, I had I had enough food where I generally carried my my litter, my stretchers, and but I had them stretched up on the on the side of the airplane then because we were using them. So I had all my K rations and everything else was was stored in the back. So I had plenty of food for everybody. So I I cooked a whole meal for them. <laughs> Next day we all came back. We were celebrated when five <laughs> airplanes that were supposed to be shot down come back home. <laughs> pretty, pretty big celebration, I'll tell you. Did you have time when you weren't on flights? Did they let you get off base and go to oh, town? Yeah. And oh yeah. You said you're all well, your pilots. I was. I was just close to to uh, the. Uh, what's the big wheel's name in Rome? Um, the Colosseum. Uh, no, no, no. The, the the priest. Oh, oh the, uh, the the pope. Pope. Yeah, I I'm, I was that close when I went to him. Okay. And here, here, here I'm Protestant, and and my 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 niece is Catholic. I thought, oh my God, why didn't I have get a, an autograph? Why <laughs> so give it? Why she would have. <laughs> just looking around like Protestants. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't think of his name now. But no, we 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 had some. We went to Rome. We went to Naples. We had, we had most of the time in Italy. The uh, the water wasn't good there, so we had to drink wine. And, Rough, <laughs> <laughs> and of course that was when you still had the Coke was still in bottles, mm -hmm. and it was generally around a hundred degrees in, in Italy. I mean, it was hot, and you couldn't have wine all the time, so we would take our our Coke bottles and put a little safety wire around the neck of the bottle, and we had uh, we had to, to drain our sumps on the on the airplanes before every flight. Well. We take the wire hook on the sump drain and onto the neck of the air of the coke bottle. Let the gasoline come out just very slow on it. The evaporation of the gasoline 
caught what caused frost on the on the Coke bottle. <laughs> you had to watch it. I mean, you could bust a bottle in not too long a time because <laughs> the, that that the, the frost on the outside. So we had we had good cold Coke most of the time to drink. <laughs> so how long? So you were were you in Europe through? Uh, well, Victory Europe Day then, or did they send you home before that? Oh yeah, yep, yeah. We were we were when uh, our our president died. We we were I was still in Europe. I came home in August, July or August. I forget which it was. They. Uh, we, like I said, they. I, I was a dummy until I got in the Air Force, and then every time they had a special something that had to be done special, my crew was was chosen. Uh, they the the C forty seven had. They they were going to leave that in Europe. And we were flying, going to fly the C-46 home, which was a, a bigger airplane, not near as good. So anyway, me and, and my crew were chosen to go to school so that we could teach the each of our of our squadron how to maintain, how to fly the the C-46. So. The, I, I felt I felt pretty proud. In fact, I was pulled out for a, a B twenty B twenty four training here again. I'm, I'm pulled out, and I don't know why. <laughs> I never. Uh, I, I guess I did when I after I retired and and got out of the service. The FAA gave me a a party when I retired, and one of the guys said. You know, you got quite a record. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I did. I I did have record. That was the reason they were. I was getting pulled. That I was the top of my class, and and they were. So um, anyway, uh, we we uh, got got the C forty six and and flew the thing home, which which. Finished my circle of the Atlantic Ocean. We would went up, we went south along the east coast of the South America, across the Atlantic, went north along the west coast of Africa, went down to Italy and Africa again, and then when we got ready to come home, we came home by way of. Iceland, Greenland, Newfoundland, mm -hmm. so that I made the complete, complete circle. <laughs> well, people can say that, right? Not many. And I haven't, I haven't flown. Well, the farthest out I've been out on a plane was uh, British Columbia, Vancouver. But I mean, to have that many miles under your belt, and yeah. how old were you when you came back home? 22, 23? Twenty-two, twenty-three. Yeah. That's gonna be. It's gonna be. Quite the experience to be able to come home to. It was quite an experience. I, I keep I keep asking people, what would that have cost me as a civilian to go to get to see what I what I got to see? <laughs> I mean, it, it, sure, I 
I got scared and, and uh, I said a lot of prayers and a lot of times I didn't have didn't have time. But most most time I didn't have time to say a prayer. My my prayer better been in there. I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you when you're flying at seven hundred feet and they, they open up a, a field that full of artillery and then you're flying over the top of it, or you ain't got much time, I'll tell you. I threw we had we, I carried flak suits in the airplane all the time. And but boy I, I, I could throw flak suits pretty damn fast, I'll tell you. <laughs> Throw them on the floor and keep keep the bullets from coming up. <laughs> so when you came home, was it difficult for you? You know, after you've seen pretty much half the world at this point, transitioning back into small when town Wisconsin. I, but when when we came back from overseas, you needed ninety points to get out. I had one hundred and twenty-two points, and declared essential to the war effort so that they wouldn't let me out. So that my, when I flew my C-46 back to the United States, they gave me a 30-day a leave, and then I was scheduled to the West Coast to Santa Ana, California, to head over to Japan. And while I was home on, on furlough, they dropped the bombs in Japan. So all I had to do was ride a troop train out to Santa Ana, California. <laughs> oh, by the way, it, it, my, my, my going out, I think it was three days, three nights. I, I was in a, a sleeper car I, above on it. Mm -hmm. my, my bill, my, my food bill, they, they paid my bill. It was $47 for three days. <laughs> for, you could just about imagine that right. now, what, it, what it would cost you now $47 for one meal now yeah. well I uh, I got in service at 50 bucks a month I made private first class I got 90, $90 a month then by the time that I got out, I was tech sergeant, and I think that was $145 a month, but 50% of my base pay, I got 50% more because of flying pay. So they, they over in, in, in Europe, the engineering officer uh, wanted me to come down to be his assistant. And I would I would be a, a warrant officer at that time, so I went home and figured out what a warrant officer was making, uh, what I was making as a as a flying crew chief. <laughs> I couldn't take any commissioned office left of less than the captain, and and make any money. <laughs> I was making more money as a as a flying tech sergeant than the that a ground captain was making pushing a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> but when California you get out to Santa Ana, is that when you got news that that's where dropped I got, the bombs? That's where I got my discharge there. The, uh, here again, we lucked out. I, I got ready to come home and there was a guy there that had uh, four of us going back to Minneapolis area this guy had a car. 
show we all bailed in. <laughs> and, and, the, and the cutest thing, and I, I call it cute because every day on the way, three days it took us to come from California to Minnesota. Two girls would go by the car, wave. Same, same two girls. <laughs> never got to talk to them, never got to see them, except then they would pass us every day. <laughs> <laughs> so once you once you got back home, Minneapolis, I assume, then did you come back to Wisconsin right after that? I, went, I came right back to Wisconsin. Got the ride to Sioux Line back. Uh, they talk about a, a celebration when you come home. I, I got out off of the a Sioux line at the Bruce Depot and I had suitcase, two suitcases. And our house is, is where the post office is now. Okay. That was, that was where our house was being. So I had, had to take my two suitcases and walked all the way up from the depot. To, my folks didn't have the door locked, and I walked in, and of course surprised the hell out of them. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> and anybody else come home? No, I back was, to Bruce. I was by myself. I had no idea. And your brother was serving in Greenland. Yes. Before you joined, he. I can't remember if he came home. He must have came home. Uh, after I did, I, I imagine, but he was he was keeping trucks going up in Greenland. Up up there, they didn't shut them off. It was so cold up there mm -hmm. that they kept the trucks running all the time. Then <laughs> I got I got home and and uh, I what fifty two twenty twenty dollars a month for fifty two months if you, if you didn't want to start working. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that, <laughs> so they had a, they had a law back that time that anybody that was, that was went into service, uh, their, the boss had to give them the same job back if they wanted it when they came back. So I told R. D. Jenkins, I said, "I, you need a milk truck driver." Oh, uh, I guess I'll start driving milk truck again. <laughs> <laughs> and I drove milk truck for a while and then. Bet my wife. She bought a 27-foot uh, trailer and put it in the yard of my folks' place and hooked up electric electricity and that was it. And drove milk truck for a little while and finally I said, "Yeah, I don't like this milk truck driving. I, I got a, I got a pilot's or a mechanic's license, and my mechanic license wasn't good." It had only good in as, as military. It wasn't good. So I found out there was a school in Globe, Arizona, and so we hooked onto our trailer. And my wife had never been more than 150 miles from home before. <laughs> it was quite a time with her. I mean, she she didn't want to pull out of Minneapolis. I'll say, but we had a good time and. I started school right away. I started my flying lessons because I wasn't a pilot. So I started getting my pilot's license. I started in January, I think it was March. I was a private pilot. And in, uh, in the fall, I was an aircraft mechanic and an engine mechanic. 
came back and dropped my wife off at, at her folks' place. We found a, a guy out in uh, Gottschalk School of Aeronautics out in Michigan that needed mechanics. They wanted to be out there, they wanted a mechanic, so they put me out there. In fact, we had had 30, 32 airplanes that we were taking care of. It, I think it was, I think it was 14 of the little ones that, plus the, the multi-engine and everything else that we were going with. We had, we had uh, four different schools we were running. All over, all over Michigan, <laughs> and my my job turned out to be that one of one of the big jobs. And of course, I was trying to build up pilot time so I could get to be a commercial pilot. So my job was, when when an airplane needed hundred hour inspection, maybe it was in uh, Adrian, Michigan or maybe it was Grand Haven, Michigan, I would fly the airplane that needed to be worked, or that was done working on, up to Grand Haven and bring the one that needed to be worked on back to Adrian and get it so that it could be flown again. Mm -hmm. And then I had, of course, all of these student pilots out here that they would be fly just happened to be flying over their grandpa's farm when their engine quit. And they, they landed on the, in the pasture, and, and of course they banged up the airplane, so I had to go up there and take off and look around and look where they'd been taken off and landing three or four or five times in there. You could see that <laughs> <laughs> their engines didn't quit at all. And one, one guy, I went in there and I said, uh, what are you doing out here? It's raining and cold, and he's standing underneath the wing of his airplane. And I, the hell you see? Why don't you go up at the house? Oh, I don't want to bother him up there. What the heck? <laughs> I said, I just talked to your sister. She didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Darn fools. I don't know. They, they thought they could fool us. <laughs> About when did you come back to Bruce? I know you took over... As the uh, in 1953, I took over the airport up here. I came, I, I came back in probably about. Well, in the meantime, I I went to. Uh, I I run the airport in Michigan for quite a while, but coming back to Bruce. Uh, the heck was it now? Oh, before that. I did a crop dusting, one 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 season of crop dusting in Louisiana. And I came back from that, and we, we'd made a, a, a small airport in, on the BB farm up by the BB crossing up there. We could land the small airplanes in there. So I was working on airplanes on that little, and I was an also a flight instructor at that time, so I was, Doing all right until they got they started the airport out here at Russ County Airport in 1953, and so went from '53 on. And you were the first stationed pilot, full-time pilot yep. here, correct? I was the first fixed base operator, Lake Flambeau Flying Service. <laughs> <laughs> and how many students do you think you've you've trained over the years? 
How many students do you think you've trained over the years? 200. Holy cow. And uh, we, you're just showing us you got a letter from one of your former students. Yep. Yep. I, uh, no, I, I quit on, on 200. I, I soloed 200 students. And I, I quit right at, at that. I had, I had a, a woman that I was teaching to fly. In fact, her boyfriend just died not too long ago. That she, her, her husband uh, died. Actually, he didn't die while they were flying, but they were flying together, which they weren't supposed to be. Because she was a student pilot, she wasn't supposed to have anybody except a flight instructor with her. But he had, they, he had just landed and took off, and he had a heart attack. And she had brains enough to fly the complete circle and call the ambulance and the whole works while she was flying. And, I, and the, she did enough that the FAA didn't even didn't even call her out on it. That, that, that she did enough that he he died two or three days later from from the heart attack. Sure. And since then, did you after you retired from flight school? Do anything past that, or did you just decide to take some peace and quiet? Floyd and I did a lot of traveling. <laughs> we did a lot of traveling. We, uh, in fact, uh, when when I when I lost her in in December two years ago, if, if she would have lived until she until February, we would have been married seventy three years. Holy cow. <laughs> So we did a lot of travel. We we traveled from I I could really honestly true. We we made two trips to Alaska. We made uh, I don't know how many trips two two flying trips to California. Uh, I don't know how many trips to Florida flying. Um, and then of course we pulled pulled a trailer. We had campers and motorhomes. And we we had a good time. Over the years, did you keep in touch with any of the guys? You mentioned they, you served with a bunch of guys from all across the country. Did you keep in touch over the years? The, the 91st the Troop Carrier Squadron, we used to have a, a, a reunion every, I think it was every two, maybe three years at, at different places. And so we kept in, kept in touch. I haven't heard from anybody now for two years, I think. I think I've outlived them all. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> well, you're you're 99 now, turning 100 in December. This, December will be 100. Yeah, four four months from now. Just, just being you know, and you flew your whole career. I mean, what was it like seeing this the the leaps and bounds in technology from when you first started up until your last flight? You know, the the, the things that I have learned and. Uh, Things that I have said, thank you, Lord, for. I mean to tell you, I am the luckiest person around. <laughs> How many people have got to spend that time in the air? My God, I, the, the, the last time we flew was in the fall of the year, and, and Mother Nature had made the leaves look like a patchwork quilt. It was just absolutely beautiful. Well, I had taught my wife to fly, so we took off in my small airplane, and she did the flying, 
and I and I took pictures of the, of the foliage. I took them to the ladies with news, and they put my pictures just about the front page of the ladies with news. <laughs> and I told my wife then I said, well. We like to fly, but I said, I think this is good. You're not going to get any better right. than this. <laughs> so that was that was my last flight. I had some wise guy the other day <laughs> said, uh, one of your buddies asked the other day, do you think Elmer could still fly an airplane? <laughs> oh, yeah, he can still fly an airplane, but I don't think he can get in one. <laughs> I think it's about the truth. <laughs> Listen to you talk. I'm pretty sure if I brought an engine and set it in your front yard, you'd still tear that thing apart. <laughs> and I'd watch. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Elmer, for opening up your house and letting us come down and talk with you. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad you did. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into No Story Left Behind this week. It was a lot of fun getting to sit down with Elmer. He was kind enough to open up his home for myself and Justin. Head over to Justin's photography page, J.E. Collins, and you can see a lot of the behind-scenes photos that, that Elmer shared with us. And don't forget to check out his book again. It's called Clear the Prop, Memoirs of a World War II, II Troop Carrier Crew Chief and Lifelong Pilot. You can find that on Amazon. That's where I ordered it by the time. When we recorded this episode, as you'll hear, I wasn't quite finished reading the book. It's really interesting here, his uh, first-person perspective on growing up. He's going to be 100 years old, so you can wish him a happy birthday as well. I'll be sending him another letter. If you want to hear more episodes of No Story Left Behind and Rules of the Arena, you can find both shows on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you find your favorite podcast. If you want to stay up to date with live recordings, make sure to follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. You can also join our conversations while we're live on Twitch. Just search for Rules of the Arena. And don't forget, you can find previous episodes on YouTube. Many of you have asked me, how can you support the show? Please tell your friends, family, maybe that cousin that you have to put up with at the family reunion each year. It really helps me out, get the word out there. And don't forget, you can also help the show out directly by heading over to patreon.com and search for Rules of the Arena. I have a little tip chart set up. It's just $1 a month. It really helps me bring new shows to you, and it helps me keep the lights down on here at the studio. Thanks again, everyone, and I will catch you next time.